Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of our Bond podcast. The still nameless <laughs> yeah, still Bond podcast. Brandon, episode two, Bond film is... It's a Bond film number six. Ooh. It's mm. 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Oms. Oms. <laughs> uh, starring George Lazenby. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. So tonight we'll be watching all of George Lazenby's Bond films. <laughs> From start to finish. From start to finish, woe to go. Disappointing, yeah. isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah, it has its ups and it has its downs. Yeah. Um, before we get too excited about Mr. Lazenby and Oms, Om. I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to take you back to 1962. The last week, Dr. No, our very first Bond. Mm. Now, we joked a little bit in the episode uh, about fact-checking each other. Yes, yes, and I feel like this Jack Kirby thing is about to come up. I do know the guy's real name. I've gone back and and done a bit of a a wee fact check on a couple of things. Some things got away on me. I did run out of time, unfortunately, but I I will do better uh, after this episode. I'd like to keep this fact check thing going. Okay. We've crunched the numbers... And I've and I, I've looked back through episode one, and I'm going to attempt to rectify some of the uh, the blatant, blatant disregard <laughs> for facts. So to start us off here, there was a little bit of there was a little bit of debate between Brandon and Darby about um, the CBS. What's this? Uh, oh, Casino yeah. Royale. Royale. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just want to clarify a couple of things. There, there was there was a few questions about what year it was. We didn't know who the actor's name was who played Bond, and there was a question about whether or not the network, whoever they were, uh, um, actually bought the rights off Fleming and and things like that. Mm So, 1954, CBS, it was CBS. It was CBS. I said 53, didn't I? I think 1954, CBS paid Ian Fleming a thousand US dollars, which in today's dollars. Is about nine thousand three hundred and thirty wow, that is US nothing. dollars. No, you got that wrong. I think. That, we yeah, we should fact check. We fact check. Fact check. Next episode, let's fact check that. So they paid about nine grand in today's dollars to adapt his very first novel, Casino Royale, into a one-hour television adventure as part of their dramatic anthology series called Climax, which ran between October nineteen fifty-four and June nineteen fifty-eight. The hour-long Casino Royale episode aired in October 1954. It was one of the very first productions they did. It aired as a live production and starred Barry Nelson Nelson. as secret agent James Bond. Jimmy Bond. Jimmy Bond, yeah, yeah, which I refuse to acknowledge. (laughs) With the actor Peter Law in the role of the chief. Hmm. And was hosted by William... Ludigan. Now reports. Oh uh, yes. There were reports. <laughs> Ludigan. Wait, it was, hang on. Yeah. It was a live. It was a live production. You know how PBS kind of do these live productions yeah, now, of like yeah. Peter Pan and The Sound of Music, and it's all done on the fly, and they're cross like like, like an old school floor manager calling the cuts live and everything ah. like that. It was done live and hosted by this this William uh, L- Ludigan guy. Um, this I really liked, and, and I would really like for us to go back and, and perhaps eventually watch this, just to double-check this fact. Because there were reports that towards the end of the broadcast, the coast-to-coast audience saw Peter Law, playing the chief, 
the actor, get up off the floor after his death and begin to walk to his dressing room. Now, apparently, apparently, um, that is, uh, it did not appear to be correct, but I would very much so like to see So it's an urban that. legend. It's an urban legend that you can actually see him get up off the ground after he's already died it's... and walk back to his dressing room. Now, the next one, the next one I wanted to throw in here with the, uh, as we sort of started to discuss the unofficial bonds, uh-huh. there is one other. Unofficial bond. If we want to throw in there, you, mm-hmm. you know, depending how long this leash can go, there's there's a film out there titled I don't know. You might have heard of this, titled OK Connery. Oh yeah, he's not Bond. It is Sean Connery's brother. Though. It is. Yes. Yeah. And very well done. Lois Maxwell That's is exactly in it. Exactly what I had. And. Bernard Lee is in it as well. well. There's a whole bunch of them, apparently. I'm more than willing to watch OK Connery. (laughs) I think we should watch all the others first. First. I'm fairly sure he doesn't play Bond. Right. It's apparently a James Bond spoof. Yes. But perhaps not Bond himself. In the same way that like our man Flint was a kind of uh, James Bond spoof. Like Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Moving along. How old was Darby? When he saw Tomorrow Never Dies in the cinema when oh, he fell asleep. He would have been six, because it came out in 97 and Darby was born in 91. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, Tomorrow Never Dies... Love, you fact-checked his <laughs> own age. His own age! What did I say I was? You didn't say, you didn't say. Oh. You said that you fell asleep because you were very young. Uh-huh. Six. Now, according to Wikipedia... Fact-check, Tomorrow Never Dies went on general release in the UK and Iceland on the 12th of December 1997 and in most other countries the following week. Mm. If this is true, Darby most likely saw Tomorrow Never Dies at the cinema in December of 97 at the ripe old age of six. Wow. Well, I do remember seeing it in Corngatta, which is where I would have been. There you are. There you go. Brandon, you touched on this very early. You said that the man in the gun barrel sequence... It's not Jack Kirby, it's Bob Simmons. Yes, it is! <laughs> yes, it is. His name is Bob Simmons. And when Albert R. Broccoli began to produce the James Bond films, Simmons tested as an actor for the role of Bond. But until his death in 1987, Simmons became the stunt coordinator for every Bond film except... Or from Russia with Love, on Her Majesty's Secret, on His Majesty's, on Her Majesty's Secret <laughs> Service, Jesus, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and the Man with the Golden Gun. He appeared in the gun barrel sequence for Sean Connery in three James Bond films: Doctor No, from Russia with Love, and Goldfinger. Now, Simmons is the only person to officially perform the scene while not starring in the main role as Bond. Brandon, yes, that's you my said, name. Fact check. Fact check. You said that Dr. No was made for roughly a million dollars. I think it was exactly a million dollars. According to Dr. No's production designer, Ken Adam... Oh, yeah. He'd know. The budget... (laughs) (laughs) The budget for Dr. No was under one million dollars. Under? For the whole picture. I cannot find an exact figure. But according to Ken, he said it was made for under a million dollars for the entire picture. And his budget was $14,500. Designers are not very good with uh, <laughs> giving an accurate figure of how much things cost, though. I've noticed, just in my own interaction with them. <laughs> with designers. A budget is a fairly uh, 
Uh, the, the word is thrown around a lot these days. <laughs> but just so you know, you did joke that you're not an economist, which is true. That, that is, is that true. is a, that yeah. is a that is a fact. Um, but just so you know, in today's figures, a million dollars in 1962 is equal to 8.3 million US dollars. No, it's not. It's far greater than that. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, because I thought I fact checked it and it was about 16. <laughs> That's well, not next, I came up next with. episode, we should fact check how much how is a million dollars in This could be a running thing for us that Dr. No keeps getting, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was actually the most expensive movie ever made. <laughs> well, they did. Oh, thank you very much. It's interesting you say six, $16 million. This is a bit of a sidestep here because that, according to Box Office Mojo, is the amount that Dr. No grossed domestically in the US. 16. 16 million dollars. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Perhaps. Just so you know, according to a 2014 Sundance Film Festival infographic... Hang on, can we just let Darby open his packet of Arnott Royales? <laughs> if, dear so listeners, desperate. you have heard the crinkling of plastic wrapping, it is because Darby... Has been eating a packet of Arnott Royales, uh, and now I'm going to indulge in an Arnott Royale. Jake, can I? Oh, chin chin, I have one too. Chin chin, to the Arnott Royale. It's themed for Her Majesty. Ah, oh, very oh, good. Delicious. Brennan, you joked in that same um, misleading fact. Hang on, a joke's going to get fact checked. <laughs> that perhaps. Um, I'm going to be very careful with everything oh, no. else. Well, I'm going to make him work for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, him work. I'm going to throw in some really wrong facts. I'll say it's everything. <laughs> Got away with that one. <laughs> now, you said that perhaps adjusted for inflation, the original budget for Dr. No probably exceeds... Most indie films. Most indie films. I remember saying that. Now, according to a 2014 Sundance Film Festival infographic, the average independent film budget is 750,000 US dollars. Oh, I was right! Brandon, you keep running your mouth, so I'm going to keep picking (laughs) on you. You said that the painting in Dr. No's dining room, when the film came out, uh, that that portrait had been stolen the year before from the London Gallery or something. Mm-hmm. It was a massive big bit of news back then. And you said that it turned out to be a pensioner who was protesting against cuts to the NHS or something. Mm. It was a protest. Something was, like that. It was that. a protest thing. <laughs> Only half did this fact because I ran out of time. Oh, okay. So I'm going to let you off with a little bit here. All right. But according, once again, to production designer Ken Adam, who would know a little bit about this yeah. painting... Imagine. This is a direct quote. We thought it would be fun for him, Bond, to have stolen art. Oh, sorry, not Bond, Dr. No. We thought it would be a bit of fun for him to have stolen art, so we used Goya's portrait of the Duke of Wellington, which was still missing at the time the film was released. Mm-hmm. I hold. He got hold, sorry, he got hold of a slide from the National Gallery. This was on a Friday. Shooting began on the Monday. And Ken painted a Goya over the weekend. It was a pretty good job, so they used it for publicity purposes. But, just like the original one, it got stolen while it was on display. Are you serious? Absolutely. So the the, the fake Goya portrait of the Duke of Wellington that appears in Dr. No has also been stolen. That is amazing. 
Was it by a pensioner? Was I right? That's the bit I could not That factor. you couldn't find. I could not fact I feel like I've watched some other Bond channel on YouTube who's said that it was a pensioner. Mm, it's a good story. It's, it's a good another, story. It's another urban Throw legend. Throw it in there. The last little one here, and you and you pretty much nailed these, to be honest, too. Brandon, you said that Lois Maxwell played Money Penny for 23 years, up until her last film, which was A View to Kill. That's right. That is 100% correct. Lois played Money Penny from 1962 through to 1985, a total of 14 films and 23 years. However, if I got that wrong, I could not call myself a Bond fan. Very true. You are our brains trust. <laughs> you are our expert in We'd the field. We'd have to cancel the podcast. We would. And here's a little tidbit. Uh-oh. Bernard Lee played M for how many years, Brandon? Well, okay, so 1962 to Moonraker, mm-hmm. and Moonraker was 1979, so 17 years. Bang on, for 11 films, that's correct. Well done. And that's our fact checks, gentlemen. Well done, I really enjoy that. <laughs> but I'm really going to second guess everything I say <laughs> on this podcast. I'm never confident in one of <laughs> Alright, well... We should probably get a move on. We should. But what I do want to do do before we um, jump into watching Honor Majesties is I want to get... Uh, what What are you looking for? Um, do you have any preconceived notions? Always. Always. Preconceived notions. Yeah. Um, before we bark on this journey, I believe you said last yes, week. Yes, yes I did. Before we bark on this journey. Um... <laughs> What are your preconceived notions? We should call this segment Preconceived Notions. <laughs> what are your preconceived notions going into Honor Majesties? Well, I've seen Honor Majesties mm-hmm. with you, Brando, a few years ago, and I loved it at the time. So I'm just ready and excited to watch it again. Uh, remember it pretty clearly, so I won't go too into detail for Mr. Jake. Yes. But, uh, yes, it's it's... I'm just excited to see Lazenby again because he's not in many. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. in, and we won't get a chance to watch him again for another big long cycle. So yeah, we won't ever get to watch him again. This is it. This, this is, is all it. until so, we do this again in ten years. In ten years, <laughs> in time. Ten years yeah. The yeah. retrospective. <laughs> I'm ready to enjoy him. Now, I too believe I have actually seen this. Yeah, I think I have, but I clearly can't remember it. Mm-hmm. Good. Like most things, um, I'm I'm anticipating Lazenby, uh, like many good Australians, to be a bit of a larrikin. Okay. Um, maybe a little more soft and cuddly than Connery. Maybe a little less slap your mother than Connery. Right? Perhaps <laughs> he would do that too. <laughs> oh, I've slapped a mother. I've slapped a mother. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> I'm a slapping man. So I think I'd like to see maybe I don't know I don't know I think you think soft and cuddly you're expecting soft I'm, and cuddly I'm thinking someone a little more tender a little more vulnerable than Connery's okay. boss. got a lovely okay. chin it's yeah. a fair chin it's a memorable chin he's a, a chiseled a chiseled gent <laughs> well I've seen this film many 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 times I probably count it as one of my all time Bond films wow but I have had in the past 
one of my top five films. I've rewatched it after mm. a couple of uh, you know after the years have set in. Mm. And I've seen it knocked out. What was I thinking? So I wonder if this could be the viewing of Honor Majesty's Secret Service that it doesn't thrill me and Ooh. indeed chills me. Oh, drama. Hopefully it's not shaken. Uh, hopefully it's not stirred. Hopefully it is shaken. Hopefully it's uh, not you stirred. Want, you want to be stirred though. I, uh, well, yeah, but I would prefer to be shaken. Oh. <laughs> well, gentlemen, let's dive into 1969's Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Well, gentlemen, we've just seen 1969's Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Jake, I'm going to have to throw straight to you immediate reaction I'm still a little bit choked up to be honest look I think it took me a while I'll be honest it took me a little while to get into it but by the end of it it's pretty amazing where do you reckon it was that you settled into it um definitely towards the back half the back half yeah really? yeah what about the first half didn't sit right with you or wasn't grabbing you um, there were parts that I thought were just a bit weird. Thanks for the pat on the head, <laughs> Such as? Well, I think a little bit of it had to do with Lazenby. And maybe it was just me warming up to him, getting used to the new Bond, getting used to the vibrant, the vibrancy of, of the, of the world. Of, yeah, of the Bond. production. The production. <laughs> maybe... I don't know, maybe it was me just trying to zone in on the exposition and figure out who everyone was and what every, what's what's going on, it's maybe. hard to do. It's a lot of work. I remember you talking about that last time. And, yeah. and, yeah, I think I felt it more than more than most sort of within that first... except first act, I guess. I, I definitely find it in, in, most of the, um, in most of the early Bonds. That, that, I, that I'm like falls victim to that. Sort yeah, of I'm. I'm kind of like you. Really have to be. It's like they didn't really care. I don't. Yeah, I yeah. wonder if they did. I don't think they did. I don't think it mattered. I, I think it's something we talked about with the last film is that you get so caught up in the story and movie making back then was about the event. It wasn't designed yeah, yeah, to it. be picked apart afterwards. Yeah, or, yeah. It's like. The audience doesn't care where we are right now as long as we're in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. You know, they don't... Because people just get kind of caught up with the story. Yeah. That being said, I think... Where did you get caught up with the story? What, what was the point where you went, all right, I'm in this now? I think there were a few things that sort of kicked it off for me... I mean, and not to say that the first half was completely devoid of of anything. Like there was certain, I mean, the whole de- the whole cracking of the safe sequence. Brilliant. That's definitely one of the earliest ones for me, where I was like, "Yes, gadgets, Detective Bond." Yeah. Um, the back half was so exciting. I think that's what I loved. Mm. I think that's kind of all of a sudden I started to sit up in that back half just because it is so action packed. Well, that was something that struck me. It's almost an hour of non-stop action. Mm. When Bond 
moves, uh, escapes from Piers Gloria. Yeah. It's set piece, set piece, set piece. A little romantic break in the barn. Yep. Set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece. Wedding. Wedding. And, what's and then <laughs> Tracy's death. Yeah. And what's so good about the, the first half of the film is that there's comparatively little action. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was really restrained. It was more of a drama with flashes of it was a slow burn and I remember like you like what you were saying you know for aside from those first two kind of hand to hand combat which were great they were really mm. great the, the first time that we meet Tracy on the beach with the, with those henchmen and then again in the in the hotel in the hotel room yeah it really is a very human story about the father will you marry my daughter bond save my daughter is his yeah you know is his plea kind of thing and bond being like I'll do that if you uh, if you help me find Blofeld, because I know that you know something about him. Yeah, you know I'm getting this feeling immediately right now, so I'm going to tell you all. I feel like it in a way. It's a little bit. It's a little bit opposite to Doctor No for me. The more I talk about it, the more I think about it, the more I love it. Yeah. You know, and the more I see its sophistication. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Bond film and huge evolution in filmmaking yeah. in general mm-hmm. let alone oh, what it's yeah. doing within the Bond universe as well and some of the choices they were making I think it was really bold you know some of those choices that you know the the sequence where Bond's staring out the window in MI6 and all of a sudden you've got that reflection in the window of the avalanche and Tracy getting swept away by the henchmen it's like really kind of I mean that first shot of the casino as well. I mean, my thoughts are jumping all over the place. Oh, the casino! But the casino with the, the purple. Yeah, yeah. The purple. Oh yeah, my yeah, god! Yes, yes. Yes. The casino light in the pool. Yeah, that, that transition, that. and then the beautiful purple yeah. velvet. Oh, you, yeah. Oh, visually, it's next. It's next level. Yeah. It really is. I don't think. I think it's probably. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it's probably stands out as being alone in that regard doesn't it I mean yeah particularly visually striking well I would say of the films that follow it for a very long time it takes a really long time to get that kind of visual daring it's just daring I think it's kind of willing willing to take risks I don't know because I think that goal from I think the sweet spot of the cinematography in the Bond films Mm. you might you could probably put from Russia with Love in there, but I would say from about Goldfinger through mm. to Honor Majesties, I, yeah. there's that like f- those four films mm. that just perfectly capture the feeling. That feeling. Mm. They look because this guy was an editor, wasn't he? He was. Peter Hunt directed and this. He only, this and is the only he, one. Wow. It's the only one he directed. He was the editor of Doctor No. He was the editor of. I think all of the first five think, Bond films. I think Peter carries his film. I the think, director does? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily the cinematography that's breath. I think it's very, very well shot and formed mm. from a camera perspective. But I think his visual ideas, his conceptions, yes. the kind of the things he's trying to pull off, they're what stood out to me. Every new introduction to a space or a scene was established with some magnificent, Very clear idea of shot. motion through. It through moves. The frame. It opens yeah. up. It, you know, really diverse camera movement and sort of getting the most out of those shots and the most out of the Very space. Very advanced. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't see Doctor No doing that. 
at all no and in the space of seven years to be taking those strides is massive yeah mm. how did you feel in this viewing did you get the kind of romp you anticipated it is how was your yeah i was informed this time yeah what's your initial kind of like i loved i loved it loved it loved it i think i had that one comment midway through where it seems to fall victim to its context again where it, it, i felt like it was carrying itself because you kind of you view a film contextually and then you also view it according to your taste yeah you know? but like those two things viewings happen simultaneously but i really found that it was a great construction like it wasn't it wasn't just a great film for 1969 like for most of the way through i was really with it i was really kind of i wasn't looking at it and and pulling it apart i was just kind of in its world it was very very everything is very detailed and had a real gravity to it and gravitas to it the scenes you know but i think um yeah where it started to fall apart for me was when we got to dr to, to Blofeld's lair mm. and there was all the hypnotized women and mm. there was about how many women Bond could sleep with that's in one the weirdness night. I was talking about that's earlier the, the too, 60s. that's so funny because that's the in, 60s uh, on the yeah. drive here yeah. I said to Darby I was like if there's one thing that I'm nervous about with this I wonder how Jake will go with the hypnosis stuff <laughs> yeah yeah because I was wondering is that gonna and be it's so 1960s a, it's so 1960s 1960s yeah. cinema well I had this thought too where it was like looking at the the plot and the narrative and, and those sort of tropes I was like this is coming straight off the back of the west is paranoid about sort of communism and all those mm. B movies and you know body snatchers sleeper and, agents yeah, and, all of, yeah all of that kind of stuff I was like oh my god this is you know Bond is sort of coming out of the, the B movies you know but yeah I thought perhaps Blofeld was a uh, I mean I don't know there were there were elements but you know he's I love a good lair and I think yeah. what's the name of the place Piss Gloria. Gloria Piss Gloria I think is stunning and is I think stunning. the production design in there is really really cool mm. that that cavern shot with the icicles that they it's know, almost like Blowfield comes across more as like in this film less of an evil master mind in grand puppeteer more of a confused man confused kind of deranged man I've got a lot of money to burn with a lot of money to burn he, it seems to he leans more towards Blofeld you're a fucking kook you're, like, you're not an like you're not a sane man you don't have any hope in the world of overthrowing anything you're just gonna you're just gonna be stuck in your little tight hypnotise a whole bunch of pretty women up in the uh up in the mountains exactly you know what I mean it's like he really lacked for me he was introduced as Blofeld but then any sort of Blofeld mystique it's almost like this guy should have just been a not Blofeld yeah he could have been his own just could have been his own person did he have to be Blofeld obviously they were building something and at the time it was necessary to have Blofeld in there sure he just descended into being not Blofeld to me like I don't see that character as Blofeld that's so interesting. I feel like we're going to jump. I think we should talk about him now because we're on on, on the we'll roll of it. Mm. I he's my favorite Blofeld. Wow, he's my he's great absolute favorite Blofeld because mm. uh, for me, I want my Blofeld to be uh, clever. I want him to seem you know 
clever and distinguished and, and educated, uh, but still have an element of, um, of the brute. Mm. He's kind of, for me, the perfect Blofeld, is he's the dark mirror of Bond. Mm-hmm. And I think in this film, he, he is that dark mirror. He's one of the only villains in the series that gets his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Like when he, I mean, when it happened, you remarked, you were like, oh my God, Blofeld has put on a set of skis and is chasing Bond. Yeah, I was so surprised. He, you know, he's not the guy that's, you know, released the hounds. He's out amongst he's it. there. You know, getting yeah. his guy. Yeah. Uh, I find Telly Savalas, the actor who plays him, um, I find him endlessly charming and super watchable. But that's my own bias coming through. I know for most people that I talk to, um, particularly Bond fans online that I've spoken to, mm. he's their least favourite Blofeld. Really? Uh, yeah, a lot of people. So I find thought his him... performance was great. I thought like he yeah. was a really good actor, but just the character of Blofeld. Yeah, he didn't make sense to me as. But fair enough. Mm. I thought he was better in a close-up when. When it was tighter on him, mm. and he had some cracker dialogue. Beautiful dialogue. You know, and some really sharp exchanges between him and Lazenby, which were really, really good. Yeah. I, f- I felt his power and his gravitas when it was close on him. As soon as they cut to a wide... It wasn't intimidating. He lost all Michael. kind of power, and he became awkward. Yeah. And awkward. I think some of it to do was to do with the costuming at times. Mm. Yeah. I think he had some pretty dicky costumes... Um, the the ski helmet and yellow goggles didn't do him justice. <laughs> the skinny leg jeans or the skinny leg chino sort of pants that he was wearing made him look yes. a little bit like a duck. Or kind like of had these pin legs and a bit of a gut. Like Gru from Despicable Me. Yeah, yes, he did. Yes, yes. A little bit Despicable Me. He kind of lost his power when 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 he when he when he was revealed in a bit of a wider shot. But I think when it was just him. Because he is such a strong, capable actor, too. Uh, I think he really came alive uh, in those tighter shots. Bond himself. Yes. This is Lazenby's first and his uh, his last. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen more. Yeah, that's my impulse. Mm. What, why? What, what, did you enjoy him in this? Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah. It took me a while, and I don't... I'm still trying to figure out whether or not he's a better actor than Connery. And at the moment, I don't think he is. Yeah. I think there's a part of me that thinks... He was a good replacement for Connery. Look, uh, yeah, I think I think it was refreshing, and I think it's a really, really great take on Bond. He wasn't as soft and cuddly as I thought, you know? Not I, at all. <laughs> there was some really cold stuff in there, you know, the, the killing the guy with the ski on, on the mountaintop there. There was some really dark stuff. I think... Look... Oh, I'm so confused because I think this Bond we see so much more variety in terms of his emotional range mm-hmm. you know whereas Connery it was pretty much to a certain extent you know one note or a few notes either side very un- un- unflappable I find Connery yeah. and I guess we're kind of only judging off off Dr. No. Off Dr. No so at the moment. So we haven't seen any kind of evolution. But, but in their debut, Connery, really unflappable. 
Lazenby has moments of fear. Mm. Yeah. Like when he turns around in that crowd after he's being chased by Blofeld and the Hatchman. And the firework and, and the fireworks, and he stumbles into the bear. Yeah. And the panic, the mm. fear in his eyes in that moment. Uh, it, it's quite like, it's very convincing. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, I mean, the, the, end, the ending itself, I mean, the, the man manages to bring some real real pain real vulnerability real authenticity we're starting to see Bond go beyond some kind of one dimensional stereotype of, of this you know macho international spy man of mystery man of mystery <laughs> <laughs> my other point was going to be about Lazenby oh yes is that I really enjoyed Bond being insubordinate oh yes I liked seeing Bond go against M and go against Her Majesty. Yeah. Um, I kind of dug that. That that Bond can disobey. Bond, in a way, has his own kind of compass and his own kind of code of conduct. Yeah. Um, Which I found was... Which I find ironic given the title of the film. You know, if he is meant to be on Her Majesty's (laughs) Secret Service. I mean, he spends most of the film... Not, not on Her Majesty's <laughs> yeah. Secret Service. He's off going rogue, doing his own thing. Yeah. Um, and and doing it a large sum of it for love. Hmm. And yeah. seeing Bond um, get married and feel that way about a particular woman and seeing that side of him as well, I think was was very interesting too. Hmm. There's a lot in this film. It's, it's very dense. Lot. It's really dense. Yeah. For you, Darby, how does he? Ra- how do you rate him? I saw. I saw a. Um, obviously, just reading into it, and drawing massive conclusions. Good. That's but, how I like it. But yeah. I saw a, a, a an effort, a concerted effort, to construct a character with an arc, on all sides of the table, from the writer, from the director, from George. They seem to really go into it consciously trying to shape a real human being and have him react and respond to things realistically it wasn't a caricature mm. so I think that alone is pretty cool mm. I think there's a, a lot in Lazenby's corner for the fact that he only gets the one bond he doesn't have time to fall apart or, or yeah. you know or he, become get, a cliche yeah, a or cliche. get bored and frustrated or get yeah, bored yeah, and frustrated yeah, very much so yeah. yeah and I think yeah I think he's a really special bond I don't know where he it's almost like I put him in a different category. For me, where I hold him in my heart, he really seems to be carrying the torch for Sean. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what they would have been doing at the time. They would have been re- really terrified about what the future of the franchise looked like after nearly 10 years of consistent work and consistent returns. Yeah. The idea of recasting a character would have been so new. Mm. And so they obviously... Hey, they would have had to have go, gone for someone who evoked that sort of Sean Connery sensibility because that's what Bond was in the mind of audiences. That would have played so big. They couldn't go too different. Yeah. But they still, in amongst all that, managed to find someone that could bring something unique. That's my kind of take. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, it's funny you say that because I struggle with him a little bit in this mm. because there are moments where he is, for me so wooden yeah and it, it's not in the moments that you would think a fresh actor and an inexperienced actor would have trouble 
For me, he doesn't seem to have trouble in the emotional scenes, in the love yeah. scenes. Um, he doesn't have much trouble when he's kind of like the insubordination, when he's uh, doing his resignation. He thinks he's putting in his resignation with Money Penny to M. The moments that I find him quite wooden are actually the, the one-liners. Yeah. Um, which is a criticism that I think Craig gets, Daniel Craig gets, really unfairly. Mm. I think Daniel Craig handles them really well. He just does them very dryly. Mm. Um, but there, there are moments in the film where he's doing the little off-the-cuff you know, one-liner, which at that point... They feel only sh- Well, and only Sean Connery had done them. Mm. Yeah. And you can kind of see him almost aping Sean Connery's delivery on yeah, some of those yeah. one-liners. And I think that's also a symptom of, which some other Bond actors have had, of the first Bond film. Mm. Yeah. Um... Because, you know, they're taking this huge mantle. For Connery, it was just do whatever you want. Create your own character. It's a new thing. For every actor, you know, since then, they've had to bear the burden of every actor that's come before them. Mm. So I think, and particularly for Lazenby, 29 years old, had never acted before. Conned his way into the job. Literally conned his way into the job. There there is a bit of aping of Connery with those one-liners. I think he's really good in this film. Uh, I find him, when it comes down to it, when you really need him to, he he, he pulls through. And I believe him. Mm. I believe yeah. that women would want to be with him. Absolutely. He's very handsome. And he's got a, similar to Connery, that kind of um, masculine... Like, mm. he's just inherently masculine. You look at him and you go, you... You can take care of yourself, and yeah. you could take care of anyone in this room. <laughs> you you did get it in there too, but I I agree. I found him hard to hard to hear, hard to understand. Yeah. I I felt he yes. was a little bit lazy in his delivery in in, in the yeah. diction. I don't know whether that's the dubbing or whatever it might be, but I've just found there's him a lot of dubbing. There was a little bit of like particularly what? of him. I mean, in the white, yeah. every, every white section where he's being Sir Hilary Bray yeah. and he's just dubbed by the actor who played Place. Hilary Bray, yeah, Bray. Yeah, yeah. and it's actually the clearest that he is in the whole <laughs> yeah. film is when he's dubbed yeah I, I, I find that too uh, and it, with each subsequent viewing of this uh, I find him harder to hear actually mm. um, it's an interesting thing I wonder if it's I also can't tell if he's trying to do a British accent at all <clears throat> in the film. At times. Or if he's just got a kind Scottish of... Scottish at times as well. Well, yeah. Yeah. Again, that feeds into my theory that there's a bit of Connery yeah. mimicking mm, there. Yeah. But um, uh, for the most part, he just kind of sounds like he has... He talks like Pretty you or I. Neutral that kind Australian of, accent. Yeah, or receive pronunciation in the Australian yeah. form. Yeah. For such a long movie... And it is with, long, isn't with, it? It, it's like two and a half hours, mm. and with so much uh, seemingly happening in it, mm. it is such a simple plot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts with uh, in that pre-title sequence, which I think is a fantastic introduction mm. uh, to Lazenby. The way that you know the shot of him lighting the yeah, cigarette yeah. in the car, and mm. he's all in shadow, and we don't see him until that. he says, oh, "My name is Bond, James Bond." Mm. Um, on the beach when he rescues um, Tracy 
but the the plot is so simple. He 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 stumbles onto this woman, stops her, prevents her from committing suicide, presumably drowning herself. Um, her father kind of hears about that, mm. um, thanks him for doing it, and says, "Look, if you marry my daughter." Um, that may be, if she finds happiness and love, that may be enough to, to keep her because I don't want to lose her. Bond essentially goes, I I don't feel comfortable with that. He goes, well, how about a million dollars? Bond's <laughs> like, hmm, okay. That sweetens the deal a little bit. But his motivation is not, well, I'll do it for the money. He goes, look, Draco, you know something about Blofeld. Blofeld's kind of a, you know, the big bad that I've been chasing for the last couple of films. <laughs> uh, if you give me the information, then I'll, I'll help your daughter. Mm. And essentially, that is that the plot. We get there, we meet Blofeld, he finds out Blofeld's plan to brainwash all these women to release this uh, toxin which will create infertility, you know, yeah. on any species of plant or animal that it comes into contact with. And then that's it. That's it and yeah. in the meanwhile, he falls in love with Tracy. Yeah. For real. Pretty amazing that the woman that passes him on the highway happens to be the daughter of someone connected, connected yes. to it's, it's the pretty, man he's been chasing for two yeah, years. It's pretty convenient. Um, yeah. It's a nice... Simple plot that kind of allows the relationships to be the complexities. Yeah, mm. yeah. Which yeah. is without having no... a convoluted plot twists yeah. and agendas and weird yeah. motives and no double crossing. No, oh, but yeah. wait, it was this. I I really appreciate that about Honor Majesties, mm. and um, it, it's a testament to to Richard Maybaum who wrote the screenplay for this. Um, you know. It's very closely based on the source material. The novel is very similar mm. to this. I mean, I, there's barely anything missing from the novel wow. in this. It's very faithful. It's very Fleming. Locations. Very important. Man. I think these are some of the most stunning locations Colours. in any Bond film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His Gloria is... I mean, it's Mecca. It really is mecca for Bond fans. And you, every time I watch this film, I completely understand why. Mm. It's stunning. Yeah. The locations alone for this film, for me, are enough to really kick up the rating. Oh, 100%. Yeah, oh, they're kicking up your, your rating. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. This Ooh, thing's yeah. like... What did I rate Goldeneye 8? I mean, Doctor, Doctor no. no. Doctor No. You rated Doctor No 8. Yeah. Mm. 887, eight, I think. Eight, yeah. Um... But the, yeah, I I really loved. I mean, we spend a lot of time in Switzerland and a lot of time in the snow, which is fabulous. It's great. More of that. More of that, please. Please. Um, but and but so many different places within that world as well. The the ski chase, the the ski lodges and the ski village. The, 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 the race the car race on the ice yes. the barn through, like all of these other sort of and, and of course his Gloria on top of the mountains you've got all of these different elements within the snowscape as well and mm. then of course you get beautiful Spain which is a wonderful contrast you know and, oh, and the bullfighting the bullfighting and the, and, the, and the wedding at the end and 
the beautiful, you know, meandering roads that we get to see these beautiful vehicles on. And of course, we get the classic, um, you know, M's office and, and, and MI6 headquarters, which we get to spend a little bit more time in as well. Yeah, I, I, it really does. I mean, we can go through this checklist. Uh, it really does tick nearly everything off. Mm. The stunts in this film. Hats off Amazing. to the stunt team on this, like, massive, massive kudos. Huge. The drive, the drive teams, the stunt doubles, the coordinators. There's a lot of, there's a lot, of, so many oh, shots. The ski sequences. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Bond's weeks. double, who skis down that mountain on one ski. I wish they didn't cut into those bloody close-ups so often. Just oh, the back leave projection. it on the wires. Because yeah. 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 it holds. It holds. It works. It really does. Yeah. You yeah. don't need it. You oh, don't yeah. need it. Although I will say, there's something about the the breakneck pace of the editing of this oh, film. Oh, the editing's really... Yeah. That is just so ahead of its time. Maybe not And it puts... Yeah. Like, a lot of people complain that Quantum of Solace is too quickly edited. Mm. And I actually don't think that the pace of the editing is the problem in, in Quantum of Solace. I think it's the... What they're editing to. I think the pace of it... Yeah, it is over-edited. There's... Mm. You know, there's there's ne- unnecessary you know close-ups of you know gas pedals and mm. and stick shifts and all mm. that kind of stuff where you're just like I I don't need that. But this edited by first-time editor of the series John Glenn, who would subsequently go on from For Your Eyes Only till License to Kill, wow. direct every Bond film between those two films. What directed? He directed them? every Bond film of the eighties. For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, A View to a Kill, The Living Daylights, and License to Kill were all directed by the editor of this film. Wow. Funnily enough, the uh, director of Honor Majesty's Secret Service had edited the previous five Yeah, it was, they were wow. like film developing a sort of... Oh, well, it was a family. It was such a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they all got work based on the fact that... Uh, they worked well with each other or had previously done stuff together and they were like, look, we got a lot of money here. I trust this guy. Get him in. You won't be disappointed. Mm. And if Cubby Broccoli was impressed with someone, I mean, he would be their best, you know, their best friend, a family member, essentially, mm. until his dying day. Hmm. The stunts in this are extraordinary. We've covered that. I mean, the ski sequences, the car chases, the fist fights. It's the all fist done. fights are probably the finest. They oh, are really amazing. Really a little fun. hammy. A little, a little hammy, hammy. Especially yeah. the opening one in the water. Pretty restrained. Yeah. Sure. And yeah. brutal, sure. too, mm. for, for that for that. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. The guy, the, 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 the guy or two guys that get thrown into that... Uh, snowplow oh and get minced up and sprayed mm. all over the place. And, and it's not just red that's coming out. It's, there's like brown kind of and chunks like, in it. Ugh. It's really like that's a body. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The avalanche. Oh, the avalanche. That is how amazing. And they 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 did it for real. Like I. From memory, this could be in the fact check for next episode, but from <laughs> memory, uh, they rigged up a whole set of explosives. Uh, along the uh, the kind of ridge line uh, of that mountain, and they set them off, and then they just set up a whole heap of different cameras, and it's and used them all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they really did. John Glenn cut to every single one of them. Um, yeah, the and it's all 
like yeah, so much of it's for real. Like you said, you know, yeah. the, the uh, coordinating these shots in this weather. I think that was one thing that we commented on too, particularly towards the back end of the film, of like realizing that there is a whole camera team on the opposite side of what we're seeing that yeah. are out there in the snow in these conditions, flying down mountains, following people on skis, you know, bob sleds. You know, behind cars, the car race on the ice is insane. Flipping vehicles all over the place, uh, people diving out of the way, explosions, explosions, crowds. I mean, like, the there stunt was, guy there that was stunt gets guys engulfed in flames that were running out from that car wreck. Like, Amazing, just just incredible. Doing it for real is, I mean, the last two films have really been testament to that of the do it for real. You do it for it. real. Same, same with uh, when we watched Goldeneye a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, you do it for real. The, the stuff that you do for real is so impressive and it does not age. Mm. Yeah. It looks as impressive as the day it was done because it's an impressive it's real. feat. When Bond looks out through the blinds of his Gloria and a helicopter flies right oh. past his window. Extraordinary. It's real. Ve- kind of moving on from from the stunts, we we kind of move on to. I'm going to push these together because they're really oh, one of them doesn't really exist in the film. The vehicles and the gadgets. Yeah, gadgets are lacking. And I'd say the vehicles. The vehicles are lacking. There's it's only lacking really one vehicles. one uh, vehicle, which it is the, the Aston points. Martin. Doesn't mm. lose points for it though. No, I actually it just think... depends how much it means to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And for me. Personally, uh, I don't think anything is lost by not having gadgets. It's a funny thing watching this Doctor No and then watching um, On a Majesty's Secret Service. Service. They're the first two films of each of these actors, mm. and they're very light on the gadgets. Yeah. And if you watch those back to back like we have, you kind of go, "Where are the gadgets?" Like, there's usually, in my mind, there's more gadgets. But it's that thing of going, well, from Dr. No through to You Only Live Twice, the gadgets got more and more and more and more and more. And in You Only Live Twice, there are so many gadgets. I mean, quite impressive gadgets, but there are so many in it that it feels like they've gone, hang on, we're introducing a new Bond. Let's go back to basics. Mm -hmm. Let's show how he, he wins with his wits, with his charm. And with his strength. Yeah. Not gadgets. Not with gadgets. Because mm. even in this... Not even with guns. I mean, he not barely, really. barely fires a weapon apart from that amazing shot oh, where he slides, slides down the guys. shuffleboard. It's amazing. It's extraordinary. I mean, we don't even really get a, a cue scene. At all, apart really? from that radioactive lint. Yeah, the, the <laughs> radioactive Which is how they're trying to track Bond. And then he pops up, yeah, as you said, you know, two hours later at the wedding. The most notable gadget is the safe crack. Scene. Yeah. Yes. But it does... It, it's, it's a nice show. Okay. It satisfies my gadget. Yeah. Does. It stood out to me because I, I literally said, ooh, gadgets. Cr- creative way to bring it in. Yeah. 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 And with the, the, combi- the, the, the safe cracker combined um, Fax Xerox <laughs> photocopier. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did notice when, when, we, when we saw Bond's office and he opens up the drawers and stuff, you've got 
Honey Rider's knife, and yes. there's a watch. There was the I watch. I think there was a Goldfinger theme from... playing under that or something like that. No, that like was that. Uh, from Russia with uh, Love. Ah, uh, right, that with was the Red cord. Grant's uh, garrote wire from his watch. watch. And then uh, the rebreather yeah. from Thunderball. Ah, see. To so kind of tie it together. Being like, it's still Bond. Yeah, yeah, Because they yeah. were terrified. They were terrified with this movie that if Connery wasn't Bond, people wouldn't come to see it so yeah. there was a real concerted effort. certainly found that too with the title sequence yes yeah. it's the only reason for that surely and the line before the title sequence yeah. which I really hate mm. I really hate the line well this never happened to the other fella yeah every time he says that he seems unsure about it I die a little inside because yeah. I'm like please don't break the fourth wall yeah, yeah. They were so unsure. They'd never done it before. They'd never gotten another actor to do it. Try it out. They never did it again. Thank God. Thank God. Because it doesn't work. No. And it's stuff like that that lends credence to the whole codename theory that each actor that plays Bond is actually a different person who's just taken on the James Bond name. It's an alias. And and I I hate that theory. I Mm. just think that theory... And it doesn't make sense because if you actually watch as we will, all of these films put together. It's clearly, it is clearly the, the same, same person. person. Yeah. Mm. Um, but stuff like that kind of lends credence to that theory. Yeah. And it drives me nuts. And he <laughs> doesn't look comfortable saying it. And he, does really, it. And then he looks over at the camera. <laughs> I know. Oh, and the, then ugh, freeze frame into the title sequence. Um, that being said, uh, Bond sort of doesn't get too much driving time in terms of vehicles, but there's plenty of modes of transport going around. There's plenty of skiing. There yes. There's helicopters. Um, ski there's, lifts. There's ski lifts. There's the horse-drawn sleigh when of he course. first arrives by a train in Switzerland. Yes. There's lots of little vehicles kind of True. popping up. True. He's in a lot of, of vehicles. He doesn't say And there's a couple around. of... Uh, he's not in them, but there's a couple of, like... Uh, jets that are going past protecting yeah. a piss glorious yes. airspace. Yeah, yeah. There's fancy 1960s helicopters too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People jumping out of them too. We did just briefly mention it, but I'd like to touch on it. Mm. The pre-title sequence, or the title sequence, I should say, not the pre-title sequence. The title sequence. What were your thoughts yeah. on that one? Very much sort of on the path to where. It where it wants to be on the me, path I think yeah. it's you know we've, we've got the silhouetted dancing ladies no now song that though yeah just to the instrumental yeah true majesty's <laughs> thing we haven't gotten into the oh well but Bond, Bond well, has had songs this, yeah hasn't previous it? to this um, Goldfinger through to You Only Live Twice all had uh, song uh, lyrical songs over the top of their yeah. but they um, didn't for this one sequence. not for this no right um, That's an interesting choice. Probably because it would be hard to come up with a song that has the title on a Majesty's Secret <laughs> Servants. I, I mean, if you can write that song... You're, you're a musical a, genius. Well, you're a better man than John Barry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I... Uh, it's a fairly simple title. It's pretty sequence. straightforward. I kind of dug... I like the opening shot of it, the martini glass with yeah, the, um, with the clock too, and Bond yes. on the clock. That was kind of reminiscent of one of the Craigs too, of him falling through the sand. Oh yeah, Quantum of Solace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of felt a little bit of an 
I was like, oh, I can see that evolution sort of coming there. I'm trying to think, what is what is the very famous film? I feel like it's a Hitchcock where there's the guy hanging from the yeah, middle hand of the clock. Is it? There's so North much Hitchcock Northwest? influence. There's a lot in, in of these Bond over. films they, that you could really tell that it that was, the, was the, of the day, and uh, that was their competition in terms of the thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean the, the title sequence with the with the replaying of what's come before. I guess it was a little bit like, ah, oh, thanks for the update. It was a little bit previously on Bond. Yes, he, yeah. Here's some of the recognisable mm. faces. You wouldn't, yeah. You prefer it wasn't there, but it's fine. Maybe it was helpful in the day. I don't yeah, know. they've done that. That it was one of the things I had a problem with in Inspector. Inspector. Yeah. They, they used previous clips oh. of. Um, of M and Le Chiffre and Vesper and Silver and I remember my initial gut reaction was oh <laughs> <laughs> oh god I'm going to have to remember all of that I mean I do yeah but yikes <laughs> it's kind of a sign that they're a little unsure whether or not the film can stand up by itself if they're having to remind you of the really good ones they came <laughs> yeah, before. It's never a good sign. No, it's um, not. Um, Lazenby does his own barrel sequence. He does. He does, and he takes a knee. Yeah, he takes a knee. I don't know how I feel about the, the old taking a knee Interesting in the choice. gun barrel. It makes sense. You're trying to avoid being shot. And still the... Still the hat. Fedora yeah. as well. Yeah, still got the hat. He's the last one with the hat too. Right. And not really the dinner suit. Sort of eventually turns into, or at least in my memory, Bond's always sort of wearing the classic tuxedo sort of dinner suit with the bow tie. It's well, black I and white. Think, I think Moore might be the first one to do that. Right. Uh, maybe Connery, because Bob Simmons, his title, his um, one is used for the first three, three films. And from Thunderball on, it is Connery, right? Mm, I think so. And from memory, it's Connery. Um, I think Roger Moore might be the first one in the dinner jacket. Right. In the dinner suit. Mm. I think. I think he might be the first one. It's definitely been that way ever since. I mean, Brosnan was never not mm. in the dinner jacket. Yeah. Um, he was born to wear one. Mm. Do we have ratings? Well, yeah, I guess... What what else is there to Bond talk women? About? We've got the the women, of which there's there's really only one. I guess there's the Angels of Death. Yeah. Blofeld's women. They're very charming. Impressive reveal, having them all sort of lounging around like, you know, sirens in, in the Odyssey, kind of in that room. Yeah. They're a bit strange. I love the fact that you pointed out... <laughs> She is absolutely fabulous. Oh, absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Joanna Lumley plays English. <laughs> English. Her character Angel. name is English. <laughs> In the credits. Diana Rigg was great. Diana Rigg is fantastic. And I actually think she's the heart of the film. Yeah. I think if you had anyone less capable than her... Mm. Even though this film is technically so well put together, mm. she's the emotional heart. And any time Lazenby has a scene with her, he is instantly elevated. Yeah, mm. she is. She's the real deal. Yeah, mm. she's up there for me with uh, with Vesper Lind. Mm. Yeah, in terms of great bond. Yeah, she bond feels women. like an all timer. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's important 
with the Bond girls for me is that they seem to challenge Bond in some way. Yeah. You know, that instead of taking a back seat, I, I think as soon as a Bond girl becomes just an ornament, it, it really undercuts them and the actress, but it's the story in the world of Bond. I, I really like seeing Bond girls that kind of cause a bit of tension and a bit of friction and, and, and make Bond sort of doubt himself or rethink things and, and, and maybe even to a certain extent that they, that they help solve things that Bond can't. Yeah. You know, and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And I thought, yeah, Tracy was really, really strong. Yeah, I, I think she's an old timer. Mm. Um, there, there isn't really anyone else in there, is there? I think so. Do you count Money Penny as a Bond girl? No, she I had a pretty big she, Bond girl moment. She, she did. did, but I count her as the MI6 regulars. Yeah, mm. M, yeah. Money Penny, Q, Bill Tanner, mm. even Felix Leiter, even though he's not MI6. They're mm. kind of like the the regular. Agency people. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah sure. Their bonds work colleagues. Mm. It always chokes me up when she's crying at the at end. At the though. end. It oh. always chokes me up. She's just so lovable. And like like I said last week, she's so charming. Yeah. Bernard Lee's M, he's always solid. He's pretty, yeah, he's pretty downplayed this film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I don't know, um, he's a bit he of a grumpy his, old man for me. He had his head in something else this entire movie. His head was kind of in I, would, I was kind of interested to see the movie he was actually in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and he was kind yeah, of like, what do you want, James? Yeah. What do you want? I'm doing this other thing. Can you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, take two weeks off. Sure, but I'm busy. Now, the quarry export. <laughs> we're overseas. <laughs> it's really logistical. Yeah, he's, he's more interested in his butterflies. the <laughs> thing. That, I think, is a good little moment, though, that M has. Um, I love that we see his house. Oh, it's great. And I think that's the only time you ever do see his house. Quarter deck. Quarter deck, yes. Quarter, good, good eye on that. I've never noticed that. There's, there's one more thing we have to do before we, before we go on. We've kind of covered the sets. They're beautiful. They're Ken Adams. Oh. They're stunning. I mean, yeah. P- Piers Gloria, it's one of the all-time greats. Um, mm kind of ties in with that though um, the style in the film yeah more firmly 60s very 60s yeah the frilled shirts uh, the turtlenecks large turtlenecks yeah definitely feeling that mid late 60s style Mm. really Mm. coming into it now not so much flares yet not yet no that's Roger Moore's territory Um, lots of uh, powder blue and burnt orange yeah, the colours murky green brown colours yeah we're getting pretty adventurous with yeah. the with the colour palette yeah I think I mean look it's not for me it's not for me either the look I can kind of appreciate it for, for what it is definitely. but if I'm thinking of Bond my Bond definitely I think it's just he's not busy. wearing an orange skivvy he's not wearing an orange <laughs> skivvy he's not getting around in a, in a frilled shirt he's he's Probably not even really getting around in a kilt, to be honest, as much as I love that gag and that sequence. Great um, camouflage, but I don't ever want to see Bond in a kilt again. <laughs> I think once is enough. I wonder how Connery felt about him not being in a kilt and Lazenby, the Australian, getting the scene with the kilt. Well, that's his bad. <laughs> he could have come back. They wanted him. That's his choice. It's his choice. Yeah, look, style, I think... I, it, it was fine. Um, I, I, I kind of sort of going back to the sets a little bit but I kind of dug the, the 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 running gag that all of the villains 
uh, have amazing sort of hospitality and basically oh. run a five-star hotel in their lair. <laughs> like we had Dr. No last time and now Blofeld's got these amazing, I mean, you kind of Skiers locked on. in sort of, yeah, chalet up in the mountains. Uh, Favourite outfit? I mean, look, it's a pretty iconic outfit, him with the, with the turtleneck and the... Like his golfing attire that unfortunately we never see him golf in before he's captured and great set away. of clubs though. Good set of clubs. Would love to see him use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's my not... favourite outfit is the um, the kind of beige uh, cardigan that did stand out, didn't it? Uh, that he wears when he's um, when he gets locked in the. Um, the cable car room. Yeah, yeah, with all the gears and cogs and stuff yeah. that control the That's my favourite outfit in this. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. The ski, the ski pants, the ski outfit. Very yeah, tight. Very, very tight. Left very nothing <laughs> to the imagination. It feels like he's wearing nothing, nothing at all. At all. <laughs> nothing at all. Stupid, sexy, laser me. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean... What else is there to talk about? I, I'll I'll just say this: you guys don't have to comment if you if you don't want. Um, I think the score's fantastic. Yeah, I think John Barry's work on this is iconic. Um, any time I hear um, any any bit of music from this film, I instantly am in the mood for Bond. Mm. It is so cool. It's. I think it's one of the top scores of the series wow. for me. Mm. I really think it's just... Uh, there was a story I was reading not too long ago that um, when they were making The Incredibles, the first one, mm. um, they they were going to get John Barry to score it. Wow. And the, the, pe- the, the film that they wanted him to reference the most was On a Majesty's Secret Service. They said, that's the sound we want. Um, John Barry eventually said, "Oh, I'm I'm have no interest in recreating something. what I've done. I'd rather create something new." So they ended up going with um, Giacchino, um, who created that amazing bombastic score for The Incredibles. But um, on a Majesty's Secret Service, I think it's it's extraordinary. And and this film really has inspired so so many um, of the other Bond films, but also so many other films in general. There are so many directors that, that state that this is their favourite Bond film. Some of them say it's their favourite film of all time. Wow. I think it's Christopher Nolan's favourite film. You feel that. Uh, and you definitely feel it. That, that appears glorious sequence at the end. Yeah. I mean, the costuming is almost identical yeah. uh, mm. to the end of Inception. Mm. Um, well, I guess we've kind of wrapped wrapped this one up we've been through the the categories so it it, it comes down now to uh, to the rating gentlemen so of course the rating system is a film is either shaken or stirred now if you got a stirred martini it's not what you ordered but you know you'd still drink it shaken martini that thing hits the spot so gentlemen mm. I'm going to start with you, Mr. Deck. Darby, how do you rate this film and why? I am going to give On Her Majesty's Secret Service a a shaken 10. <gasps> oh, oh, my God! I was it, not expecting that. It, 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 
it has its weaknesses, but I think as far as what I'm looking for when I watch a Bond film, you'd struggle to find one that's better looking. You'd I struggle agree. to find one with better visual fluency. You'd struggle to find one with better emotional depth. I think I was going to give it a nine, but I was just sitting here thinking about how highly I really do rate it, and it's going to be a ten. It's going to be a shame. Wow. Ten. Yeah. That is incredible. Mm. That's our first ten. Mm. That is the first ten. Mm. Mr. Spear, Jake Spear, mm. how do you rate on a Majesty's Secret ten Service? Following very, a ten. Yeah, yeah. A shaken a ten. A shaken ten. Perfect perfect score doesn't get better than that <laughs> it can't that's every ingredient it's there <laughs> then absolutely chilled. nail nail the martini what's that I'm you? really conflicted with this one yeah speak from your heart <laughs> um look it's not it's not all there for me um, there's a lot of it that is, mm-hmm. particularly that back end. Um, hey, <laughs> see, I'm more about the front end. Yeah, right. Yeah. The action, amazing. The women, strong, beautiful, robust. The score, revolutionary, elevating. Couple of gadgets, couple of vehicles. Combat, amazing God. The Bond, oh, I think the Bond himself is a backstep mm. for me. However, I had a hell of a good time. Yeah. It was very exciting. I didn't mind the length, didn't really think about it. The villain, eh, mm. kind of, uh, that's going to take a while. To, to really kind of get a grasp on how I feel about him. <laughs> He's a weird old coot. He's a, <laughs> He's a, a strange The film itself, technically, I think you really see this thing step up a, a, a whole other level. Mm-hmm. I cannot give it the same rating as Dr. No. It is impossible because I think, although as much as I love Dr. No, this film doesn't hold a candle to it. And although it's not perfect... <laughs> the tension <laughs> waiting for this rating. <laughs> I've got to give it a shaken nine. Oh! A shaken nine! This is very high. <laughs> this is very high, gentlemen. Yeah. A lot of mine have been high, so I'm a little bit worried that I've just... I've, I'm going to run out of room. No, there will no, be no. the bad there are, I'm just telling you now, there are, 25 <laughs> fil- there are 23 <laughs> films still to come. Threes, There's one There's one that I know you're going to hate. <laughs> I actually don't know if you'll make it through it all. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine if I had a walkout. Imagine <laughs> you got a walkout out of yeah, one film. Imagine. There's going to be some sturds. <laughs> There's going to be some Gentlemen, I think this film is... It is stunning to look at. Uh, it's a classic Bond film. The The score is extraordinary. I think nearly everyone on this film is working to their A-game. Mm-hmm. I love Terry Savalas as Blofeld. 
Um, I think the action in this is extraordinary. Set design is extraordinary. The locations are extraordinary. And even though I've said that, and I feel like I've been slightly more effusive in my praise of this film than the both of you, my gut reaction on this, and I really can't put it into words, but I feel like it just has to be my gut reaction. This is a shaken eight. It's a shaken eight. I think it's, I think it is a really sensationally good film. But like you said earlier, there is something that is just missing from it. Mm. And I think that if the year was 1969, I'd give this a shaken 10. Mm. Yeah. But because I know it's not, <laughs> and I know what's still to come, mm. and what there are a handful of films in this series that I think tick every single box for me. This one just falls shy of them for me. Mm. But I still think that this is head and shoulders above nearly every other Bond film. And I think that if this was the standard that every Bond film was held to Mm. and was, you know, strived for and and eventually reached, uh, there wouldn't be a bad Bond film in in the series. Yeah. But I'm going to have to say Shaken 8. It's a mm. gut feeling oh. and I and I can't uh, go past it. There but it's funny because I'm such a big Bond fan and I've <laughs> rated both the films lower than the two of you so far. <laughs> and they're both classics. You just have a higher... Uh, I know, but where do I standard. go? Yeah, but where do I rank well, some of Well, you'll know when you see it. Oh, oh no. Wait, the, that's the shake and stirred it's, scale. Yeah, it's like being a parent. You, you love them, but... <laughs> <laughs> you do have your favourites. Yeah, you do. <laughs> well, gentlemen, we have... Uh, we've wrapped up 1969's On A Majesty's Secret Service. So thank you both for being a part of this. You're very welcome. And we will... Uh, we will reconvene very soon for to watch 1973's Live and Let Die.